And my, my favorite quote that I use specifically with PT students and when I'm teaching somebody to practice in the ED from this book is using your familiar tools in unfamiliar ways. Hmm. And that, and the book like really talks about when we specialize and when we think about too specifically, we forget the bigger picture and we lose our ability to critically think. And so we don't know how to integrate that information that we're accessing. And it, it, one of these quotes that I love is modern work demands knowledge transfer, the ability to apply knowledge to new situations and different domains. I'm like, why does it keep going? I had it selected on loop. The, the intro is just looping. And I'm like, that thing's supposed to be like 10 seconds long. And I'm like, we're 20. Extra impact. Extra impact. Rebecca Griffith is back. I can't, can't stop. Are you frozen? You're frozen on my screen. Are you there? I'm not, I'm not frozen on mine. There we go. Okay, you're good. Um, welcome back. Thank you. First and foremost, how are you doing? You were posting something yesterday about some sort of a cast removal. I don't know if we covered this last time. Yeah, I had a Liz Frank fusion. Um, so I've been in a splint and a cast for a month. and ah, just a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My leg looks like an arm. It's like dwindled down to a little stick. <laughs> looks like an arm. It does. And so I'm in a boot now, but I still am not weight bearing for two to four more weeks. Um, oh. That's super Dude, exciting. That boot, so, that boot is not made for walking. So, I, But I, I, relevantly, I think I've read seven books in the past month. Because All right. and, that's, and that's what we're here to talk about today. But before we kick things off, this is kind of cool and kind of exciting. So exciting that I made a graphic for it. Ba-bam! There it is. All right, so we announced this via email. If you get our unfair advantage emails, which you can get at ptpinecast.com, we are, in fact, giving away uh, an all-expense-paid trip to APTA's combined sections meeting in Boston. And by us giving it away, uh, ATI is giving it away. I'm just, I get to beat the drum and be like, we're giving away, we, we. So it sounds cool. So they're paying for it. I'm not paying for it. It's not coming out of my pocket. They're doing it. But I thought that was kind of cool. Um, we sat down and they were like, what's the biggest barrier that we can control? Because a lot of people were like, we want it to be closer. I'm like, I don't know where you live. And you all live in different places. I cannot control that. They're like, time of year. I'm like, I also cannot control that. Uh, so it was like cost because we were just talking about this before we hit record. Going to a conference, time, travel, food, time away from not working, that's a cost. The actual ticket to the event. Yes, it is high reward in my opinion, APTA CSM. Some people dig it, some people don't. I'm not here to convince you to go if you don't like it. I dig it. Um, but a lot of times it's cost. So ATI has said, okay, cool. Um, we will do an all-expense paid trip to CSM for someone that one might be you so you can get I that signed up. you signed up lincoln link in your up. bio link in our bio to uh to do that and thank you to ati for looking at that and being kind of kind of conscious and at least hooking at least one person up because hey one person that could be everything to that one person maybe that's the first time they go maybe that's the first time that person goes and they become president of the apta in a couple of years because you never know because students are graduating every year and that's what we're here to talk about today so fun format, you and I both like books. I keep the books. These are my books. I'm like Gollum. These are my precious. I, I don't know why. I just like to touch them and keep them. You give them away, which is more magnanimous of you to do, which is... Also space. Also space. Yeah, maybe I haven't gotten to the point where I'm like, ugh. Although, when I moved, when I left radio and went back to PT school, I gave away a lot of my business books. Like I had like every Seth Godin book. I had like a million books. And when you move, books... 
the juice versus squeeze ratio, the weight versus reward ratio on books is sort of like because space and heaviness. So right. maybe I'm just building back up my book library. But I also think you like to revisit your books. And my my philosophy is more like there are too many books in the world to read, to yeah. read one more than once. Yeah, so I, I'm like, I loved this book. It's yours. It's it's a gift. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um, so what we're doing today is we, we, we specify, we did an episode on this before, which was six books every PT should read. And then we were like, every PT is so wide and broad like let's let's narrow down so then we were kicking around the idea of so we said students are these are new grads right new graduates mm -hmm. new graduates so just graduate or new grads yeah i mean yeah you're right you're right i didn't read a ton of fun reading in pt school though because i was just no you know new once i was like when i graduate i am gonna go out twice a week i'm gonna read a book a week and then you know i did some of that but not not as much as i thought i was but because you feel so constrict or i felt so constricted in pt school right just doing that and then you're like i need i felt like uh the guy from shawshank redemption andy dufresne when he crawled out of yeah. the tube and i was just like oh freedom Anyway, you know that's a stephen king story this is it was a short story wasn't it yes mm -hmm. we stand by me and I just read about it. It's one of my top three favorite movies. We'll do movies. Okay. Let's do movies next time. Movies. All right. But let's not get. But anyway, I'll tell you the thing I read about this is the director, uh, Stephen King wrote the director an email or probably a letter back then. Uh, kids, letters are when people wrote on paper and sent it physical <laughs> in the mail. We'll talk about what the mail is later. But they wrote the director an email um, because he he it was a short story. He couldn't really comprehend how he could make this into a movie. And then he watched it and was so sort of moved by it. Yes. Which is a cool story. I mean, imagine that. Number yeah. one, you buy the rights to a Stephen King movie, you make a Stephen King uh, short story to a movie. And then Stephen King says, good job. I think I would cool. still, I would ride that juice till I till the grave. But anyway, back to books, back to books. Okay, so let's go the format. It's a six pack. So you're going to bring three, I'm going to bring three. You're my guest. So you're going to go first, you're going to say the book and then you're going to like why you suggested it a little bit about the book. Ready, set, go. Okay. My first book is In Shock, My Journey from Death to Recovery and the Redemptive Power of Hope. And so I just finished this book this week. And this is a book um, written by an ICU physician. Mm hmm who was pregnant and uh, had some medical complications, which they didn't figure out for a very long time how this happened, but she basically bled out, almost died, was in the ICU, her own ICU for a long time, and then proceeded to have health issues, multiple surgeries over the next several years. And then at the end of the book, she's you know back to work and has a child and, and kind of things turn out well for her. But the thing that I loved about this book was that physician to patient perspective. So many things, so many tips in there, like while she was dying in the OR, she could hear them. Oof. She could hear them say, she's circling the drain. Ugh. She's dying. She she got an ultrasound on the on the baby and she, the, the resident was like, can you show me where I need to be looking? And she was the patient. And then she also, the other like huge takeaway for me was how we're training medical providers to wall themselves off and not use and access their compassion for patients. Right. So one of the most powerful quotes for me was, I came to medicine with an open heart and I was immediately taught to wall it off. Oof. And so she, she shows like both the patient perspective, like how, why patients are so disappointed with how we interact with them, how we teach them, how we care for them. 
Um, she was accused of being drug seeking at one point by a fellow physician Ew. during during the course of her care, even though she was not. And but she also really shines a light on the humanity of the providers and how we get to this burnout point, how we get to this point where we're not thinking really about the patient as human. We're not thinking about those outcomes. And and I know we're not physicians working in the ICU, but the way we provide care to our patients has to be so personal and so connected. And sometimes I think that's what sets us apart. But if we're burned out mm. or using language in a way that we're not even recognizing right. is alienating our patients, that's a huge issue. We just did an episode, Ricky Fernandez, who's a PT, but he's sort of like taken on this, I don't know, sort of invented this coaching role as like a burnout practitioner, you know, to, to, to guide people away from it. And like step one is recognizing it. So this feels yeah. like... Um, like sort of like that the the grand rounds scene from Patch Adams, yes. where like Patch is in the back, and he's like patient. They're talking right in front of the patient, like bunch of dudes in white coats, and the old white dude in white in the white coat is like this patient right in front of the patient. This patient is this and this and this. And in the back, this is before you see Patch Adams for the first time. It's like, What's the patient's name? Yeah, it's like oh, you missed it. Well, and she talks That's in the book. book like talk to me. Yeah, not at me. Yeah. Talk with me. And she really focuses on that that concept that we talk a lot about in PT. Like your patient will tell you what's wrong with them if you have the yeah. courage to listen. And she also talks, I think you and I talked last time about like that patients are often interrupted in seven seconds or less. It's like 17. Something 25. like that. It's less than a minute. That's all I know. And That's she says, as, as providers, we're really afraid that if we let patients talk, they're just going to talk forever. Yeah. But she said the research that she's done shows that if patients are not interrupted, they are likely to speak for two minutes or less. So it's like they have it. It's a sprint, right? But let them get it out. Even if you don't, in my, in my opinion, even if you don't get any, you know, I'm using air quotes here in a podcast, any more good information, at least they felt like they got it out, right? I mean, yes. isn't that good? Like, wouldn't that be a benefit to building a relationship? I don't know. In my opinion, it feels like it would. Yeah. And, and the last thing I want to say about this book is, is as physical therapists, I often say we're hope bringers. We're people that bring people hope to get their lives back. And she tells a story about uh, a patient who was dying, dying, most likely going to die. And what she had asked for from the residents was for them to leave her a message of hope on a three by five card and, and put it on her wall. And there was a resident that refused to do it. He said, I'm giving her false hope. It's not okay. I am not comfortable doing this. I, I, I'll think about it, but I'm, I'm probably not going to do it. And she says, what I learned from that encounter was that the patient was realistic, but needed hope to become visible. And that really stuck with me because what we do is make hope visible. In the end of the book, this resident actually mailed her a three by five card with statements of hope on it. And he said, I wanted to apologize to you and that patient because I didn't get it, but I get it now. And so what the three by five card said that he left for her was, thank you for letting me believe in hope. Wow. So I want PT students, new grads to think about making hope visible for your patients. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, uh, there's a marketing principle about making the visible invisible or making the invisible visible. And mm -hmm. hope is an intangible thing, right? So if you can do that, but we know this with like with like coaching and motivational interviewing and advertising, right? So advertising is bad because they use psychological principles to make you buy stuff. But you can use these principles to make you do stuff and the stuff could be bad or good. So the principle is neither bad nor good. It is. So this is trying to make the invisible hope, which was the only thing left in Pandora's box, right? The good, the one thing left behind. How right. do you make that visible? 
because I just talked about this yesterday with students. Um, you know Roger Bannister, right? First person to break the mile, right? So yeah, we just read a book about him. It was forever. It was forever. No human will ever break the four minute mile, and then he did because they said doctors were like, "Your heart will explode. It just won't take it." And then he did it. And then a dozen people did it within the next 12 months. So did we figure out how to train better? That No, it became possible. There were, oh, look, somebody did it. Therefore, why can't I? Um, so this book, these are this is not my selection. So that was called In Shock? In Shock, In Shock. by Dr. Rana Adish. Good book. It makes me think of, and these are not books that I've selected. So I'm, this is not my, I feel like I'm talking to like the genie in the bottle. Like This is not my pick, but still Alice is a good one. That's Alzheimer's. Yeah. Uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly is a good one. The person blinked that book. They used like a cursor and they blinked. What? Yes. that We should talk. That's an insane notion. Yes. And then the third wow. one will be uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor, Stroke of Insight. Mm, really good one. So those are like written from a, per, a patient perspective. I think, I don't think still, I think, I remember if still Alice was written by her husband or her. I can't remember that one. But it definitely put the patient in the forefront of um just a good, just a good perspective from the patient perspective. All right, so in shock, my first book. Are you ready for this? Ready. My first first book because I still I keep all my books, so I have visual visual aids. My fir- first book is the Four Things That Matter Most by Ira Bayak, MD. So Doctor Ira 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 Bayak. Have you heard of this one? No. This feels like a you. I see. I was actually nervous to put this first because I was like, she's gonna say it. All right, so the four things that matter most, somebody gave this to me when my mom got sick, and it was like, listen, you got a lot of time on your hands hanging out, so read this, and it was a good thing to read. It wasn't too, it was more my, It was more like um, mindsets, because when something, when something bad happens to you or, or is happening over time, like someone getting sick, um, everything sort of falls away. Like, you know, the things that were vital that you needed needed to do, suddenly you're not doing them and the world doesn't fall apart. And you just right. focus on, re- like, what is important if I boil it down? Because a lot of those things, like, the, you, they use the metaphor before glass balls or rubber balls. You can let yeah. the rubber balls dry. It's like more things are rubber than you think. But what it's, but let's identify what glass is, right? So four things that matter most really jumps into the four simple phrases that can bring profound healing and completeness to relationships, not just when someone's sick. This is a life manual, which is also vital in patient care, like big takeaways, importance of expressing love, forgiveness, and gratitude. And this is in personal and professional life. This is not just all mushy and emotions and stuff to do at home or in, in, in relationships. Um, and of course, you knew I was going to weave in something with communication in here because this my jam. Uh, it, I think the book really highlighted how effective communication can transform patient relationships or any relationship. What you say isn't what you've said isn't necessarily um, what someone hears. Mm, right. Yes. I mean, how many times have you been in an argument with someone and you'd be like, I said that. And, and you're like, you didn't say that. You're like, well, I meant that. There's actually a great ad campaign. Crap, I can't remember who it's by. But they go to the, they go to the game film. It's two people having an argument. Like, you said you'd take the trash out. Like, no. And then like, and they bring in like the NFL sideline camera and they both put the headlines and they watch the replay. I can't remember who the ad campaign is. But it's cool because then it's like you see one person go like, uh-huh. The other person goes like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't say that. But it's amazing if you look back on what you said versus what they heard or what you said, but what you meant. Um, so, you know, making sure you can communicate clearly is uh, is important. And why is it applicable for me for new grad PTs? 
it, it helps to develop empathy and strong communication skills. I think that those are two things. Empathy is different than sympathy, and we talked about this in a past episode, uh, is vital for patient care. Empath- real quick, because I think it's important, and I actually think about this a lot, because my buddy as a psychologist came on the show and explained empathy and sympathy, because I was like, that's the same thing, dude. He's like, it's not the same thing. I can't have sympathy for what childbirth is like for Rebecca, because I have not given birth. I can have empathy for it. I can be like, that, I could imagine, I can imagine that that was intense and severe and painful and emotional, but I can't have sympathy for it. So you can develop empathy for people. I've never had a you know a fracture, a Liz Frank fracture, uh, but I can have empathy for what Rebecca is going through, but I can't have sympathy. So it's just, can you develop empathy? Yes, you can. This book, The Four Things That Matter Most, help you do that. So that is my number one pick. I like that. I have a question about it though. Does it, does it talk about when, with the glass balls and the rubber balls, like this ability to like forgive yourself for dropping the balls? I can't remember if the glass and rubber was from this book. I don't think it was, but I remember, I just think, oh yeah, I I'm seeing where they're going with. Um, I think I took some things like that away, which is like, forgive yourself a little bit and what is important, but like say it in the moment. You, I, you know, I've, I've got people in my family who are real, like I used to think they were super mushy and I, you know, they would like, they would make eye contact with you and be like, Hey, I really love you. And you're like, when you're not used to that, it's like, it can be like a little, for me anyway, it was like a little like, okay, that's too much. But then yeah. they're like, what they're trying to do is like, they're trying to look right at you and be like, I want you to know that now. And connect. Not, not just later, right? Because we always like, it's, you know, everybody always gets mushy and we never speak ill of the dead. Nobody speaks great when someone's sick or di- dead or dying. But like, what if we did that on a Tuesday? And that's sort yeah. of what this book was hammering home, which is like, what are the four things that matter most? Other things matter, but these are the four that matter most. And they narrowed those things down. So it was pretty cool. Good I book. think that makes perfect sense. Yes. All right, oh, are you I'll, ready? I'll give the phrases. I promise I would give the phrases. The four, oh, yeah. the four phrases. The phrases are, and then the book shows you how to sort of use them, when to use them. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. And I love you. So like those are simple, but not easy. So that is all. I, I will stop now. Your second book. What is it? My second book is Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well communication book yeah i mean kind of they all are they all are suddenly my geeky degree in communications makes total sense yeah and this book i thought as a student is really valuable because you're getting feedback all the time all the time and to do a service to your other students you also need to provide feedback yes to your fellow students and what we do with patients is we give and receive feedback the entire time so i really liked this um one of the quotes that i really liked from this book was Receiving feedback sits at the intersection of these two needs, our drive to learn and our longing for acceptance. So understanding that when you're receiving feedback that's difficult, if you Mm -hmm. can kind of separate it from that need for acceptance piece and listen a little bit for the content and the education, I think that's helpful. And it really does help you also learn how to filter feedback. And I've been talking to my teenager about this, right? Like, because teenagers also receive a lot of feedback from their peers, from their teachers, from their parents. Um, There's a filter. And we also talked about people receive, there are so many people in the world that can't even take a compliment. Mm -hmm. Like if I say, Jimmy, gosh, I just think you're so good at this. You might be like, thanks, but like, can you actually receive it? Right. No. Yeah. But if I say, Jimmy, like this really needs to get better. I I, I think your podcast is terrible. You're going to receive that. Yeah. Like, where's that same filter? Why Why are we so easy to believe the negative things and have such a hard time believing 
the positive things. So I talked to him about receiving things through a filter. Does this compliment feel accurate to me? Does this feedback feel accurate to me? Can I separate myself from the emotions with it and actually look and see if there's something to learn from that and where the value is and what is being said? And then how you receive that and give feedback to the person giving you that feedback can also lead to a really helpful discussion. Yes. I recently had this happen, and I think I talked about it with you. I won't say who gave me the feedback, but they told me they thought I they, they thought I needed to be more of a go getter. Wow! And if you asked me, and I and I and I sat straight face while that was going on, I said, "Do not react. Take this feedback because how I think I am, maybe that isn't how uh, this uh, other people see me. How I saw myself as I am a go getter. I would I think the quote I used was, "You can question my direction, but never my speed." Like you, yes. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't demonstrating go-getativeness to this person in a way that they thought. And to me, I took that as, I said, okay. And to myself, I said, self, maybe this was an expectation thing. Not my ability to go get, but that 100%. person expected thought I was going to go get a thing when I did not think that that was my thing to go and get. Does it talk about how to give and when to give feedback? Because like I know yes. at work, a lot of times people, myself included, it would be like, here's your yearly um performance review and then you get slapped with something where you were like dude if that was the way you thought like could you have told me this nine months ago and i would have done better and i wouldn't have this gaping hole in my chest right now yes and yeah. it, it also talks about three different types of feedback that oh. they can give um let me see if i can find that like one of them is coaching one of them is like oh shoot i lost it well there's three different types of feedback oh here it is appreciation so you're offering motivation or encouragement and like giving them positive feedback. Good. And then coaching is actually about helping somebody learn and grow to improve specific skills, knowledge, abilities, or awareness. It helps us accelerate learning, focus our time and energy, and improve our relationships. And then evaluation is telling us where we stand against an implicit or explicit benchmark. So to me, that like that annual performance review is your evaluation. It's how you stand with that benchmark. But if you're not getting appreciation throughout the year and you're not getting coaching, you're going to arrive at that evaluation either at a shortfall and be distressed or it's fine, but it doesn't give you like a growth mindset. So I think that's helpful. The other thing that we learn, I think as CIs that we hear all the time is you've got to use the sandwich method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This book doesn't really suggest that. It says that if you try and bury negative feedback in the middle of other things, you lose the impact from both. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. You lose it from both. So, so it was like really separate those and make sure that the person receiving the feedback is ready to receive it. And it also talks about factors about how you're able to receive feedback, like you personally, and it, it lets you like rate your ability to receive feedback. And it's a very useful exercise. I like that. Um, we used to do this once a week in radio. It was the worst. It was the worst because I don't think I did it right. And what you would do is there was a cassette deck in the radio studio. It became digital later, but it was a cassette deck and it would only turn on. It would only record when the microphone was on. And then you would sit down and listen to it with your boss. It was called an air check. And you would just, my boss would just say, put your, put your tape in from last week, hit fast forward for just a random amount of time and hit play. And then you'd sit there and listen. Number one, you would listen to yourself talk, which is nails on a chalkboard, no matter how long you've yeah. been in radio. Yep, yep, yep. Doesn't matter. Still. And then you're watching someone else silently listen to your voice while you sit there and you just breathe and you're like, oh yeah, I know what I said here. Maybe that would have been. But it was trying to get at this learning moment, right? Which is, you know, we looked for things like crutches, things you said 
repeatedly, but you hear it now because I said them 10 minutes apart, but I said them 10 times in a five hour show. And that person listening might be like, oh, that person always says that phrase over and over and over. Anyway, it was the worst half hour of my week because I just think how it was structured. And then when I became a boss, when I became a program director, I still didn't like it. But I think if I had this boss a book, I would have been like, I would have looked forward to it. We would have gotten more out of it. So I want to apologize to everybody I did that with that I probably didn't get, they didn't get the most out of it. But I just felt like I needed to keep doing it because that's what my boss did. I think that's valid. I used to be that person who, this call may be monitored for quality assurance. I used to be the person who listened to those calls later. Really? recordings of them. Yeah. That was a job? Yeah, it's a job. Really? Oh, this call may be monitored for quality quality assurance. I thought that was just a legal thing. Okay, so how did you, what did you do? Uh, so I would listen to the interaction between the customer service person and the client. What industry was this? Uh, finance. Okay. For a massive stockbroker firm. And then what would you do with, did you chart uh, the information? I would grade them. Do? I would uh-huh. grade them um, and uh, on a rubric. And it was like everything from said hello, didn't say hello, helped the person. I would go back and I would look at the client file and make sure that they actually did what they said they would do. It was like auditing. It was like doing a chart audit on a phone wow. call. You you did the job. I thought it was just, a, they just recorded it. I didn't, I mean, they always no. say quality assurance purposes. I'm like, are they just for saying that so they can record it? So if I say something stupid or whatever, they've got it recorded, but that's their permission. Huh. Yeah, the worst part though is I was like 18 years old and then like giving this feedback to people who were like, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. Yeah, yeah, whatever. What was that job called? Um, I was a client associate. No, uh, senior specialist services, some associate or something. Business jargon. I thought it would have like a cool, like secret product listener. No, I mean, the unofficial title was most hated person on the team. (laughs) You were like the bad news. But did you ever, did you ever, were you able to like give like a, like an attaboy, like a, like a kudos, like, Hey, this it. Oh, good. So that's good. Yeah. But I was also an 18-year-old on a power trip, so I don't know how often I did that. Ah, well, at least you were. This was before that. college. I was a different right. person then. And that book was called what again? Um, that feedback? book was called Thanks for the Feedback. Thanks for the Feedback. All right. My second book, which is one, two, three. This is the fourth book. My second book is uh, from the person who has one of, if not the most viewed TED Talk ever. And his name is Simon Sinek. And fun fact, he mm-hmm. lived in my neighborhood on the Upper West Side. And I walked by him by this coffee shop two dozen times and never had the gumption to walk up to him because he was always talking to someone. He was, oh, I mean, when you have the, one of the most viewed Ted talks in the world and you're in the Upper West Side, just walking around, people will spot you. It was a tourist area and dude just got spotted and he was always talking and it always body language wise looked super positive. Like he could have blown people off because he's like, just trying to get some espresso here, man, leave me alone. But he always looked super positive. So Simon Sinek is the person I'm talking about. I'm holding up the book. Start with why. If you haven't seen the YouTube video, do that. And then if you want to go a little deeper, uh, the book is fantastic. So uh, so it's also the the subtitle is How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. I don't think it's not necessarily you need to be a leader to do this. I think you can be your own leader and take valuable information from this book. He talks about the importance of understanding and communicating There it is the why behind what we do. Even if you never share your why, you I think you understanding your why is sort of your north star, and if you're oh, if you ever like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel right. It just doesn't. Where is this going? I say stop and sort of go back to your why. And if it's not in alignment to get you there or keep you on the path to there, why are you doing it? Like, ask yourself why you're doing it. 
He argues that this understanding is what drives successful leaders in organizations. So key, key takeaways is that, uh, from this is you can discover this power of purpose-driven work. We've mentioned the word burnout several times. Yeah. So, you know, working for something you don't care about is called stressful and working for something hard that you do care about is called purpose. Passion. And how this can transform your approach to physical therapy or quite literally anything, anything. Um, So learn effective communication strategies to convey the why. I think this thing took off, obviously, you know, the most viewed uh, TED Talk or whatever. And then every company, every person building a website built the about section and they put their mantra or their vision statement. And that's great. But I would, I push back and I always, when I work with companies and brands, I say, you know, what's your why? We get to that. And then I say, great, now show me. And they go to the about me section. I go, no, go to your Instagram page. Yeah. Go to your onboarding. Show me how you onboard a new employee. Show me the brochure the first time or the hundredth time a a customer interacts with you or a patient interacts with you. And I'm like, I don't want to see the words. I want to smell it. And so the analogy that I usually tell people is if you bake a cake and you realize at the end when it's coming out of the oven, when the cake is coming out of the oven, you forgot to put the sugar in, throwing 10 times as much sugar is that cake still going to suck. You have to bake it in. So just putting it on top, just, oh, well, I'll just put extra icing to make, make sure the Y is in there. So every bite sort of has it. It doesn't taste right. So just having it on your about me section, I said it, it's one of my values. It's in my mission statement. Um, I've worked with organizations where I'll stop people and say, "Hey, what's the what is what's the mission statement of this organization?" Oh, it's um, uh, it's it's got the words. Uh, that doesn't feel like a mission statement. Like, just do it. That's a mission statement. What's your job? Yeah. To help them do it. That's Nike. I mean, I don't know what Nike's yeah. official mission statement is. It's like their goal is to just do it. Our goal is to help them just did it, right? So, like, yeah. If you, if you look at Nike, you smell that, you taste that, you look at that. So, I think good brands are able to communicate that. People who know their own why, they act and operate as if they are headed towards that North Star. So this is a good book for you know new grads, but for anybody, but I wanted to put it on a list. So start with why, how great leaders inspires, uh, inspire everyone to take action. Simon Sinek, start with why. I definitely, I do professional development coaching for people who are burned out and I help them make a professional development plan. And I always say the most important part is that vision. And it has to be a touchstone. It has to be the thing that you go back to over and over again. That's you. And you have to live into that why you have to live into that purpose. Otherwise, you're going to constantly be in conflict with yourself in your life. Yes. So I love it. I'm going to have to read that one. Okay. Last one. Your last one. Number five. Range. Why generalists triumph in a specialized world. And this is, I've read two of his books. What is the author again? David Epstein. David Epstein. He, so he's, correct me if I'm wrong. He was a sports journalist first, right? Or he is, he's just a journalist. He's not even a scientist, but he loves to study science or write about sciences, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And as a PT that practices in the ED, I, people are always like, oh, do you have to be a specialist? And I'm like, actually, you really need to be a really strong journalist. Yes. And people always say a jack of all trades is a master of none. But the full quote is jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of master one. one. That's correct. And my, my favorite quote that I use specifically with PT students and when I'm teaching somebody to practice in the ED from this book is using your familiar tools in unfamiliar ways. Hmm. And that, and the book like really talks about when we specialize and when we think about too specifically, we forget the bigger picture and we lose our ability to critically think. And so 
we don't know how to integrate that information that we're accessing. And it, one of these quotes that I love is modern work demands knowledge transfer, the ability to apply knowledge to new situations and different domains. Okay, good. So I want so talk about that for a second. When you work with someone and you're like, because hey, we did a quick reel once and you said, um, you want to make sure people can use their, now how, how did you say it again? You make sure they're, they're familiar tools, familiar tools in unfamiliar ways. Unfamiliar ways. Got yeah. it. So explain, just go, go do a hot 30 seconds on that. What's that mean? So like one example of that is if you have a patient with low back pain coming into the emergency department, prone on the gurney and screaming every time somebody tries to touch them, are you doing quadrant testing with this patient? Are you getting them up and having them do flexion with overpressure and then, you know, having them do their manual muscle testing? Absolutely not. Do you know how to evaluate this patient in different ways? Do you have this massive tool set that will allow you to approach this patient, communicate with this patient, help this patient manage their symptoms, and then use all of the information that you have, all of the assessment that you've made, and then make appropriate plan for that patient, yeah. even though you didn't do it in the familiar way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a guy named Steven Johnson. It's, I'm not suggesting this book, but I'm bringing it up what he said. Um, and I'm he wrote a book about he's like he studies like ideas and how ideas happen and what he's saying is similar to what you're saying is there's only two types of ideas there's old ideas communicated in new ways and there's new ideas communicated in old ways so it's like how do i because it's all context i have all access to pretty much all of human history's information in at my, at my fingertips so it's like great cool my best friend memorized every president in order um, when we were in like fifth grade or something, and I was like, oh my God, he's going to be the smartest guy in the world. And now like, it doesn't matter because I can ask a little coffee can in my um, on my kitchen counter, who was the 15th president? I don't know who that guy was. I'm sure someone will put it in the comments, but it doesn't matter because I have access to that. What am I going to do with that? How can I use that in a new way? Can I apply that? If not, is does it have any use? Well, it's really ironic that you say that because my second favorite quote is, you have people walking around with all of the knowledge of humanity on their phone, but they have no idea how to integrate it. We right. don't train people in thinking or reasoning. Right. Again, this is where I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe 15 years in live radio helped me out with this stuff. It was the world's, believe me, I wish I had tape of the first couple you know, broadcasts or years, but you would have heard terrible stuff. But it was reps. I just, you just kept putting yourself out there. Um, that's cool. So that is range. What was this other book? Range. Mm. We had another one that also would like, I think like we six did. months later, uh, uh, genetics, something about genetics, genetic climate people. disaster. I no, think. no, no. There was something out no? else along sports science. Oh, sporting gender. Uh, nope, that's not gonna be there. This is me having access to all oh, it's the sports gene. The sports gene. Yeah, that was his first one. It was the sports gene inside the science of yes. extraordinary. He was looking at like how, why, why is I mean, besides Aaron Judge being like eleven feet tall, why is he probably more likely to be you know the right fielder for the Yankees versus Jimmy McKay, right? So then he talked about like these genes, like, and a lot of it is just like, hey man, it's genetic. So it's it goes along with um, what Angela Duckworth said in Grit, which is. Talent times effort equals skill, skill times effort equals achievement. And in that, it's like, yes, effort is squared, but like if you got the gene, LeBron was given something a little extra, but if he didn't work at it, he would have got beat. So that was his first book was sort of looking at the sports gene, David Epstein. Sports he journey. also has a TED talk that I just want to throw out there. Why specializing early doesn't always mean career success. So for PT students who are like residency fellowship, I'm going to just do this. Just maybe think about this book. That's often brought up too when you have a kid playing, um, you know, one sport from seven to eighteen. It's like, well, actually, if you look back at, you know, the 
uh, quarterbacks or professional athletes, it's like very few of them sports specialized. But I get it where it's like some is good, more is better. But this sort of proved where it's like some, a lot of it's genetics and some is good, more isn't necessarily uh, better. All right. My final, we'll have the, uh, the final book is, uh, and this is a dirty, this is a dirty word. Um, uh, the book is, oh, I brought, grabbed the wrong book. Oh, so I don't have a visual aid. I have a, I have a different book from the same author. So that was sort of on my list, that one. The book is drive and it's from Daniel Pink. Um, the surprising truth about what, what motivates us. So Daniel Pink also wrote this one, which is to sell as human. That's what I was going to say is the dirty word in, uh, in healthcare. Right. But selling is just like, is, is communicating benefits and features, but first benefits. That's what selling is. But anyway, the, the pink in the surprising truth about what's motivates us is he talks about the essence of what truly motivates us. Me coming into your bedroom, getting real close to your ear every morning and screaming, get up and go work out. will get you out of bed because you want to shut me up for a little while. But like over time, you're going to start locking your door and figuring out how to keep me out of your ear, right? So he sort of talks about how what actually motivates us beyond traditional rewards and punishments. There are apps that you put $100 in at the beginning of the month. And then if you work out 12 times, you get the money back, right? So it's sort of like locking this $100. And we've shown that like, it sort of works for some people, not most in a little bit. So we introduces the concepts of, and we're going to love this in PT, autonomy, mm -hmm. mastery, and purpose, which goes along with start with why purpose being your, your, your why as the key drivers of motivation, this podcast, very meta, right? In my career, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. But my advisor in PT school, Sky Donovan, who comes on the show all the time, has said, this podcast, or at least this type of thing is you and I was like, well, how do you know? And she goes, because when you've had crappy days, weeks, or months, or things have gone sideways, she's like, this is the thing that you get up and do. No one is holding no one is holding a gun to your head saying, do this, Jimmy. You have to. I could stop at any time, and no one, I mean, no one can say anything to me. 1,200 episodes. Who's going to say anything? I've done it. I keep doing it because I'm motivated by it. Great. He's Pink is sort of saying, great, why? Like, let's figure out what does that. So in there, in the book, he talks about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation right so grades are extrinsic motive like correct me right grades are like extrinsic they're outside someone else is, is is surveying mine but inside is my belief i am a good student or i am a good podcaster because i say i'm going to do two episodes a week and damn it i do two episodes a week one of those things will get me like a it's like anaerobic versus aerobic if you want to do the parallels with exercise like yeah if someone says like i'll give you a thousand bucks if you bang out two episodes a week i'll do it for a little while and then eventually i'll be like i don't know a thousand bucks i don't like doing it then you won't do it intrinsic will last longer that's aerobic yes. I, I do it why because i like it because this is me because i get something out of it not necessarily just money i like it i feel it so intrinsic versus extrinsic and how they affect our actions and decisions learning how to foster a self motivating environment. I was a, I don't want to brag about the fact that I was a kid's swim coach while I was in PT school. Sky Donovan actually got me that job. And the name of the swim team, it was, you know, it was a summer swim team was the Holy Mackerels. Tell oh me goodness. a swim team with a better name. I will give you a thousand dollars. I don't know nope. that offer not applicable uh, in more than 10 minutes, but the Holy Mackerel. And I heard somebody say, Jimmy, your job as a kid swim coach, eight to 18 years old is how old the kids were. Your job is not to motivate 
the kids. And I was like, of course it is. Of course it is. And then the more I thought about it, they were like, you're not going to make a kid like getting up at six o'clock in the morning in the summer and like swimming if they don't like swimming. Now, that doesn't mean I can't make it fun or I can't, you know, this doesn't mean I can't introduce novelty. This doesn't mean I can't give good feedback and, and make things exciting. But the real motivation comes from within. We know this. If you have yeah. children and you yell and scream at them to do something and they don't want to do it, they are going to decide not to do it unless you threaten them. And that, again, is an extrinsic factor. And that will work for so long. Yes. For so long. But if you instill a uh, an idea of, and this is where like this goes into parenting. I don't even know if this is from the book anymore. I'm just shooting from the hip. When you, this, uh, when you tell a, a child or someone, when you put a personality trait, like, oh, he's, when you talk about a kid in front of them in a good way, He's very, he's very motivated. He really, really cares about his grades. They've actually shown studies is you've telegraphed what, how you see that person or how you want to see that person. And then they act accordingly. The chicken, then the egg, or the egg, then the chicken. I'm not sure which really? one. Um, and then applicable to PT, how Daniel Pink's uh, uh, surprising truth about what motivates us. I hope it helps PTs understand and tap into their own motivations and inspire their patients' recovery. But like your own motivation. Jobs can't motivate yeah. you. Bosses can't yeah. motivate you. They can give you good feedback, but that motivation comes from within. The good motivation comes from within. So that was a good one. Daniel Pink. I think too, when you're in the middle of PT school, there are days when you're like, why am I doing this? I think I'm done. Yes. So I, that and, sounds like a great pick. And that's the thing. It's like, what are you going to do when everything sucks? You know, I, I help people and companies launch podcasts and I just look at them. I'm like, do you like any of this? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then I can help you get to episode eight. But if you're not going to, if, if and if that's okay, then that's your goal. Great. But if you're like, no, I need to do this every week. And I'm like, need to do it every week, but you don't like it. Yeah. I could fix my toilet, but I don't like it. I could learn how to do it, but I don't like it. I hire someone. So yes. find out what drives you. And that's the idea here is like, what does drive you? Because you're going to do that when everything goes sideways, when you're not motivated, because not every time I'm motivated to turn the microphone on, but I push through because I like this. So I'm more apt to do that. Um, so that is the final book for today. I think we picked some really good books. I know. And I have like more. I won't show you which ones. I'll show you the backs because I'll bring these later. But Ooh, I, I, that I can. I, 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 yeah, I, 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 like, I like that one. Because I was like, maybe this one, maybe this one. So and I feel what this is, is this feels like reading rainbow. It feels like we're doing reading rainbow. We're like, we're talking about a book, but not we're not. It's not book club, but we're just like, I don't know. Maybe you want to open this book. Maybe you don't. But even if you don't, here's, you know, two or three key insights and what we learned from it. And it's just good combo. Uh, so Rebecca Griffith, it's time to do the parting shot. Hang on, hang on. Parting shot. One, two, three. This is the parting shot. What's something you'd want the audience to take away from the three books that you suggested? It sounds to me like communication is key. Maybe have someone on your team who knows how to inspire communication or teach communication or just go read books or watch videos or listen to podcasts about communication, but it should be in there. Cause if it ain't, uh, what's the quote It's uh, it's the, the worst thing about communication is when you think it has occurred. Right. Yes. And that's what gets us in trouble. I said that. Well, no, you said that. Yeah, but I meant that. And it's like, yeah, well, you thought you you thought it was communicated. Um, what will I say? What's my parting shot? What are my books again? Um, four things that matter most. I mean, you, you can see a theme with my three books, right? Communication, but also like boiling things down to that word. Why? And that yeah. is you're supposed to love all your kids equally. Right. And my kids are sort of questions who, what, where, when, why and how. Um, and why is sort of the one that I, of course, never love one the most or more, but like, why is sort of one that's important? It's deep. And if you look at Cynic's YouTube video, you see how he draws concentric circles. And at the middle of that one is in fact, the why, 
Um, Rebecca Griffith, thanks so much for doing six books every physical therapy student should read. This is PT Podcast. We say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.